um, just remember that um, staying and coming to the congregational meeting, even if it's only to affirm um, the youth pastor candidate, is just really important. I really hope that you'll be there. It's not going to be that long, I don't think, but it's, um, it's key. Um, our guest speaker for this morning is Dick Sisson. Um, if you don't know who that is, then you weren't here 19 years ago at High Point Church. Um, he is the reigning champion um, for the longest tenure pastor at High Point Church in our 52 or so year history. He was here 19 years ago. I was corrected last service that he was here for 16 years, not 12 years, which apparently confused me because I think I was 12 years old when he was pastor. So, um, if you know anything about High Point's history, um, it's actually when Pastor Sisson was the pastor here that was our greatest—it was like the golden age of High Point Church. It was our greatest season of growth. It, we see some, some t- piles of people come to faith and be baptized. Um, it was during that um, season of our church's history that this building was built. We moved here from what is now um, the, the Methodist Church—I forget the Asbury Methodist Church on— um, on university, we came here. There's a picture in the office of the new church building with people holding hands all the way around the parking lot and all the way around the church. That was during this era. Um, that was later. Oh, sorry. Okay. Well, it was that build. It was this building. Um, and one of the things that uh, there's two things that um, I he- I've heard a lot about over the years. One is that. Um, is about the, uh, the college students that came during that era, and specifically the conversations that happened in their home um, during the week about theology and the gospel, and people who didn't know Christ would come. And, um, and then another, if you look on our mission board and you kind of do the math, one of the things that you'll find is that a number of the missionaries that we support came to Christ or were discipled during their college years in this church and were sent out after those college years from this church. Um, the Burks, actually Laura— um, Laura Elker was just up here, um, had Pastor Sisson as one of her, as one of her pastors. I won't say what era of her life, because that would be, I've said too many year ages things here, so we can't do that, but, um, but I wanted, I wanted to invite him to come and speak since he was going to be in town, because, um, you know, every church has a heritage, every church has a past, um, there's always good and bad things in that past, but as we try to move forward as a church in this season of what High Point is, we're, we're always standing on the shoulders of people who came before us, and Dick is one of the guys, um, who spent many years of his life called by God here to, to minister to this group of people, and, um, everything we do in this era, um, is partly set up by and blessed by him, so, um, even though I wanted to honor him by inviting him, I, we still, I still want to continue to receive from him because um, what I've invited him to is to come preach at us. So uh, the best thing you could do to honor him, besides you probably want to clap when he comes up, is to listen to what he has to say. Because um, he's going to speak in the gospel through the Bible series for the, out of the book of Numbers. So um, Dick, why don't you come and I'll pray. And Father, I pray that you'd bless Dick. We thank you that he could be here. We pray now that you'd speak through him, that you'd, you'd teach us. Um, we pray that he would feel honored. Father, we're so thankful for the ministry that he had to this local church. We're thankful for the ministry he's had throughout the city and in all the churches he served, but specifically the heritage that we have from his ministry here. We pray now you'd speak, you'd work through him, and that we'd be blessed again by his service. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Thanks Thank you. Well, Nick mentioned that uh, uh, he, uh, 
had to correct something that he said uh, in his introduction. I would like to correct uh, something he said, too. Uh, he said he was 12 years old when uh, I, I came here. No, <laughs> he was, he's not even 12 years old now. I mean, look at him, look at him. You say, oh man, do I covet that hairline, that waistline. And uh, not only that, uh, Nick is an amazingly brave and open guy, uh, puts me to shame, uh, willing to try new things and uh, get the whole body of Christ together in this place coming up. Is that next week or two couple weeks? Yeah. Um, so I take my head off to you, young man. And uh, I can't imagine what God has in store for this gang. You know, there, there was a time when we marched a thousand people over here on one day. Uh, Old Middleton Baptist Church, we had three services on Sunday morning. So we took all the furniture out so that everybody could stand up for the last service. Or any of you here know it, it can't possibly be. Uh, uh, <laughs> bless my soul. Uh, but it was really fun to have a parade. We had roller skates and bicycles and flags and banners and buses for anybody who uh, fell by the wayside uh, as we marched this mile or two. And uh, uh, it was a, a, a happy time. Uh, by the way, I mentioned his courage. Uh, imagine the courage of deciding he's going to preach through the Old Testament. Uh, why, that's never been thought of before. Imagine, nobody will ever come, uh, especially when they get to book like numbers. Holy cow. So get your pillow out. Uh, I mean... Uh, uh, can't believe the courage of this guy. You probably remember there was a Bible survey course taught in an old Bible college. Woman professor, she said, well, in our survey, we're up to the book of numbers. And then she kind of coughed and cleared her throat and said, it's a book about people screwing up. So don't screw up. Let's go on to Deuteronomy. <laughs> and uh, there's some, uh, some truth there. Uh, numbers uh, it can be a little bit not only uh, uh, sad, but uh, complex. It will make you ask questions like, what am I really like? What were the Jews really like? But more than that, it'll make you ask questions, what is God really like? Because you will see him in different postures in, in this book that, uh, that really require mature thinking and pondering. By the way, it's this book, as much as any book in the Bible, that will make you say, 
we don't we evangelicals don't exactly have everything cut and dried as as much as we think we do. God is infinitely smarter and beyond us in all of our thinking. So don't think you know all about him. You don't, do you? Okay, good. Okay, having said that, let me just tell you, I, uh, 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 Nick gave me two and a half hours to do this uh, uh, <laughs> overview, but uh, I really only want to accomplish two things in this overview. We have just a few minutes for each of them. Uh, the first half of my time, I just want to do a Reader's Digest a third grade overview of the book of Numbers. And then for the last few minutes, I, I want to look at what I think is the central theme of the book that really grows out of one experience uh, that will come to in one of the chapters. But uh, b basically, you could think of, uh, of uh, the book of Numbers in terms of th three parts. The first ten chapters are all about uh, uh, preparation for the march. Uh, the, the second uh, uh, part from, say, uh, verses uh, or chapters 11 through 20 have to do with uh, uh, the march itself. And then the last part has to do with they almost get to the promised land and are tying the ribbon of their march together. But I want to look at the, these, the, these first two sections kind of together because they're, they're almost mere opposites of each other. So here's the first ten chapters in a nutshell, okay? Uh, here's how I would uh, head it. When Israel is preparing to march, she does everything right. Everything, everything. So uh, uh, let's look at that uh, thought uh, for a minute. In uh, these first chapters, Israel's been at the foot of Mount Sinai into, going into its second year now. Remember the, the book of uh, the law was given in Exodus and, and the book of worship was given in uh, uh, Leviticus and now it's time to march. So the first 10 chapters, basically they're finishing up the work on the tabernacle and uh, getting orders for the march. Uh, listen listen to, to two things that happen. Each chapter talks about an assignment that God gives and then, secondly, it closes with, with some statement about how Israel did everything that God asked. Happy, happy, happy uh, section. So let's look at I'll just give you a couple examples. In chapter 1, God tells Moses to number the men over 20 years old. Let's see how many potential soldiers we have uh, when we come across our enemies. And so they do. They take a census and they discover there and uh, 3,550 men over 20. Boy, this book is really precise, isn't it? It's amazing. The, uh, uh, take your Bible seriously. Uh, uh, it's got lots of jot, jots and tittles that are there on purpose. But uh, what I just want to point out is that in verse 54 of chapter 1, it says, the Israels did just exactly what the Lord commanded them. Okay, chapter 2. 
Chapter 2 says, okay, we're going to put this tabernacle right in the middle of our camp when we march, and we're going to put 12 tribes around it. So three are in front, and uh, uh, north, south, east, and west are all covered. Nobody complained. Nobody said, oh, we're in the back. We're going to get all the dust. They did, it says in verse 34 of chapter 2, so the Israelites did everything that the Lord commanded. Uh, Chapter 3, God says, hey, wait a minute. Uh, When we left Egypt, I saved you by uh, saving the firstborn when the death angel came and there was a great final plague that let us be released. Count up how many firstborn there are here. (laughs) So they count up and they come with uh, 22,273. Boy, talk about specifics. Then God says, well, wait a minute, you owe me uh, uh, 22,273 lives. I'll take the Levites. Levites are going to be the ones who handle all matters of worship, taking down and reassembling uh, the, the holy tabernacle and many other things too. They found out there were 22,000 in the tribe of Levi. You owe me 273. <laughs> I'll take five shekels apiece. They collected that money and that became the seed money for the, the, uh, the tribe of Levi to get their job and their work done. But it says at the end of chapter 3 in verse 51, Moses obeyed the Lord. And finally, uh, there are some instructions about uh, hygienic issues uh, that uh, close that first section. Then finally, we come to the dedication of the tabernacle. And in every chapter, they did what's right in the eyes of the Lord. Now, it's, it's, a, it's an amazing thing, isn't it? Uh, um, everything's perfect. And then it says in chapter 10, verse 33, so they set out. Okay, finally, the preparation is over and it's time to march. And, and they march to the shout that, that, that Moses makes in verse 35 of chapter 10. Rise up, O Lord. Rise up. May your enemies be scattered. May your foes flee before you. Verse 35 of chapter 10. Uh, Note Moses is confident that this is of God, that God's going to go before them, that God's going to smash the enemies, and they're going to make it to the promised land. Praise God. But now we come to the second uh, division of this, uh, uh, this, uh, this book. If the first division in the first 10 chapters is when they were preparing to march, they did everything right. As soon as they started march, they did everything wrong. Everything. Everything. So you find in chapters 11 through 21, really, uh, disaster after disaster after after disaster. And... uh, this is really, really something. This is why, in many ways, the book of Numbers has been called the book of testing. Uh, it's, it's one thing to talk about the Christian life when you're in a doctrine class, when you're in a membership class, or it's another thing uh, to hear all the amens that come when Nick preaches. 
Then you go outside and suddenly it's not talking about it anymore. It's about living it. And so it says in Numbers uh, chapter 11 that the first thing that happened is they started complaining. I just give you this one verse. We never see anything but manna. If, if we had only some um, meat to eat. And then that popular refrain in these 10 chapters, da 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 if only we were back in Egypt. You know, you know uh, it, it's... it's uh, It's sometimes scary when you ask, what are we really like? What are you really like? What happens when you feel a little bit of the heat of the furnace? Before you dismiss these guys, do a little bit of soul searching. You know, uh, uh, it's real easy to make a New Year's resolution on January 1st, isn't it? Think of how many pounds you were going to lose all through your life <laughs> until you ran into your first malt, your first piece of pie. Well, uh, in chapter 12, uh, another problem. Uh, uh, suddenly Moses is giving orders and the people don't like it. And it, the, the complaints come from his own family. And here is Aaron and, and, and uh, Miriam saying, who do you think you are? You think you're the only guy who can tell people what to do? It is interesting in this chapter, God responds to their complaint. And he says, you know, with some people I speak through the word, through the spirit, but with Moses, I speak face to face. <laughs> it's an interesting uh, verse. Miriam is strucken white with leprosy. Be careful before you criticize this preacher, okay? <laughs> yeah, you, some of you look pretty white in here. Uh, <laughs> But the, the, main, the main test failure, you know, comes in 13 and 14, chapter 13 and 14. It's, 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 it's the crisis of Jewish history. Twelve spies are sent out in chapter 13. They see this land and it's wonderful. But they see the size of the cities and the walls around them and the size of the giants who protect them. And they said, oh, it'd be nice to eat these grapes every day. But it's not for us. We'll never make it. And Joshua and Caleb go crazy and said, didn't we start this march, march by saying, God, this is your business. Go before us. Scatter our enemies. We trust you. But look at, look at the, the way chapter 14 begins. It says in the first four, four verses, that night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this desert, why is the Lord bringing us to this land 
only to let us fall by the sword. Our wives and children will be taken plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Man, this is a very heartbreaking paragraph, isn't it? Oh, man. I shouldn't even be smiling. It's awful. And it's particularly awful because almost the first time uh, tough things happen to us, we start thinking bad things about God. Ever happened to you? Amazing how that happens. Amazing how that happens. But uh, not uh, men of faith, not Joshua and Caleb. They say, uh, uh, halfway down this chapter, what is it about verse 7? Listen, we passed through a land that was exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he'll lead us into the land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Uh, uh, only don't rebel against the Lord. And don't be afraid of the people in the land because we'll swallow them up. Their protection is gone. But the Lord is with us. That makes all the difference in the world. The Lord is with us. And if you forget that in the tough times, you've lost the battle. That's all you must know to ultimately prevail. It's so amazing. Well, you know, there are other difficulties in these, these, the second section. Moses himself gets mad and frustrated, picks up his uh, uh, stick, <laughs> hits the stone, and ultimately forfeits his right to lead the people into the promised land. What a sad section of scripture. Uh, uh, there's a third section. It has to do with chapters uh, 22 through the end of the book. And, and uh, it's about uh, what happens almost when they get to the end of the promised land. Uh, there's three chapters, four chapters on, on the prophet uh, uh, Balaam. And, uh, and uh, then there's a, a battle against the Amorites and and, and, and finally, two and a half tribes are given, assigned their land in that Amorite land, and this is where you're going to live. And that's how that book ends. But instead of talking about that last third in this, as the third point, I want to I talk about something that happens in chapter 21. You know it. It's probably the most famous story. It's about uh, murmuring people one more time. But this time, God says, King James, fiery serpents. Remember that? Can you imagine that? Snakes that could fly and, and attack. And anybody who was bit by one of these serpents died. But uh, out of their desperation and total agony and hopelessness, they talked to Moses. Moses talks to God, and God tells Moses to put up a pole, put up a pole, and on that pole, put a, a, bra a, a, put a brass serpent, remember? Now, let me just tell you what I would say, therefore, 
as my third point of this book, okay? When nothing is going on, we're great. When tough times happen so often, uh, we fail the test miserably. So in life when we fail, in life where we sin, what do we do? And uh, I, I just want to uh, say, don't miss the lesson of the pole. And in that pole, so many things are, are said, aren't they? So many things are unsaid, uh, quietly spoken. Uh, Jesus refers to that pole. You remember that in, in, uh, in John chapter 3? Jesus, the, the, of all the things in the Old Testament that he could have used to describe uh, the love of the Father and his own mission, he chooses this one chapter of Numbers, and he says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so will the Son of Man be lifted up. And immediately, he says, For God so loved the world. Look at that pole! And don't look at it just as a, as, as a remedy. Look at it deeply. Look at it as origin, the fourth century a Bible scholar who said, get beyond the superficial and don't leave a passage until you get the spiritual meaning of it. And so look at that pole and come to that word look and see all that it implies about how you see yourself and how you see your circumstances and how you see God. And so as we look at that poll, I use this word look in a way that Origen would approve of, but you will all not like it because it seems to go beyond the meaning of that, that event. But I would like to suggest for my third point this, that the book of Numbers proves that the most important activity of our lives is worship. The most important activity of our lives is worship. And if they had at that time looked into the face of God, things could have been so differently. So differently. I want to say three things about worship as we... Uh, uh, as we uh, get ready to face the world. Uh, three things about worship, and don't you forget them. Remember them. I don't usually say something like that, but I'd love to have you take it away with you. The first thing I want you to know about worship is that our focus determines our reality. It's more true than we even can imagine our focus, what we focus our eyes on, sometimes the eyes of our heart, determines our reality. Uh, the people grew impatient, it says in verses, verse 4 of chapter 21. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There's no bread. There's no water. And we detest this miserable food. Now look at this. With every step, 
they saw more and more of the immediate circumstances that their physical eyes could see, and it dominated their thinking. It just absolutely dominated their thinking. As you can be dominated by, oh, wow, I am out of money. I, I, I don't have a friend in the world. I don't have a girlfriend. I, I, I'm not going to pass that test next week. Well, you know what? I had my integrity questioned. All kinds of things that can just dominate your, 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 your thinking. But I'll tell you, uh, your focus determines your reality. And what this means is that it is not necessarily the outward circumstances that have to be your ultimate reality. There's, there's, there's a wonderful uh, 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 example of this. A professor uh, at Northwestern University uh, uh, did a research project on Olympic athletes, and and she studied the response of, of athletes according to their place in the competition. And here's what she discovered. Overwhelmingly, all the time, the people who won the bronze medal in their event were happier than people who won the silver medal. You say, that's crazy. That's nutso. No, it's the truth. Now, this is what she discovered. She discovered that people who won the silver medal looked at how close they were to winning uh, the whole uh, the show. And they were disappointed that they didn't get the gold. But on the podium, the people who won the bronze medal saw how close they were to not being up there at all, and they were so happy. They were so happy. So go back and look at the videos of the Olympics and see if that's borne out. But if that's true, you begin to say, wait a minute. Our feelings are not uh, determined by outward circumstances at all, after all, at least not necessarily. Not necessarily. And if this is true, um, a word spoken hundreds of years ago by the poet John Milton becomes amazingly perceptive. John Milton said this, The mind is its own place, and in itself can make heaven out of hell and hell out of heaven. Boy, is that true. It's just amazing. When you think somebody's going to be happy because some event in his life, he's thinking about something altogether different. One of the things that frustrated me in this church and in many others, I married hundreds of couples. Uh, The first several years that I pastored this church, uh, there wasn't a Chinese church in town. So all the Chinese uh, uh, Christians sat in the first seven pews on both sides. I married lots and lots of, the, uh, of, of these couples. But it was an interesting thing, not just with them, not even especially with the Chinese. They were such delightful people. But how many times I would marry a bride 
who instead of having more fun and more pleasure in her wedding day, was so overwhelmed by the details that instead of saying, thank you, Lord, the happiest day of my life, she was a nervous wreck. And if you brides like that, <laughs> I, I, I find myself saying, wow. The reason our focus is so crucial because what we see determines our reality. And often we see what we're looking for. Is there anybody that you know that you don't like? <laughs> I dare you to find something good about them once you say, I don't like her. I don't like him. But should you suddenly be swept off your feet by some charming young damsel, I dare you to find anything that you will ever do wrong. <laughs> At least for a week. <laughs> Isn't it funny? Love does cover a multitude of sins, doesn't it? You, you find what you're looking for. And it's an amazing thing. And this, uh, this, this, is, this is really something. The reason our focus is so crucial, we see what we're looking for. The Jews in the book of Numbers were overwhelmed by the circumstances that immediately surrounded them, and they needed to zoom out and regain a, a, a view of the big picture. And that is precisely what worship does. Worship gives us the ability to zoom out even into the heavenly places and see something bigger than a negative circumstance. So having said that, let me tell you the second thing about worship. And it's this definition that I hope you take away with you today, even if it's too long for you to write it down. Worship is the choice to take your eyes off of what's wrong with your circumstances and focus them on what's right about God. It's the most important thing you will ever do. Someday you'll be in the hospital. And someday somebody will break your heart. And someday somebody will um, accuse your kids of things that blow your mind. Someday something that will happen that will destroy you if you're not able to get away from this immediate circumstance and go to the big picture. Oh, God bless worship leaders of this world of this church. By the way, your problem here is never your worship leader. They're wonderful aids in worship. It's what you bring into this place that determines if, if, if you're a worshiper. But God bless anyone who is able to, in the midst of great difficulty, to say, Lord, I want to zoom out and I want to see your face. No wonder, you know what David said, David loved the word, but David said, I'm not just seeking your word, Lord, I'm seeking your face. What did he mean when he said, I'm seeking your face? He's talking about his presence. You know, uh, 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 worship, worship is the ability to know that Jesus Christ is here now 
And that changes everything. And the first generation of praise music before 95% of the people in this room were born. Uh, when we were first discovering uh, acoustics and uh, uh, guitars and drums and all that stuff, we sang a song, I, I believe in Jesus. I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died and rose again. I believe you paid for us all. And I believe that you're here now. And when I would get to that point, I would, I would just get this amazing great feeling of goosebumps and chill and fire. I believe that you're here now, standing in our midst with power to heal now and the grace to forgive. Hallelujah! That's what worship does. The second you were connected with the God who is bigger than your bad day, you pass the test. I, I'm just amazed. Two guys in the Bible. One is named Paul, one is named Silas. Bring the gospel to Europe. They turn left instead of right, and uh, they go to a place called Philippi. Good things are happening. Uh, they, uh, they cast demons out of, out of a teenage girl. You remember the story. And suddenly they're a target of the ones who were making money off of this girl. Pretty soon they're beaten within an inch of their life, cast into the middle of the deepest, darkest cell, stocks on their feet. And Acts chapter 16 says at midnight, instead of feeling sorry for themselves and crying, they began singing and praising and worshiping. And you know what it says after that? It says, all of the prisoners started listening. And the moment Christians in difficult times look up instead of down and say, Jesus, you are here now, and you are just as loving and great and omnipotent in my pain as in my happiness. Paul says, I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. I know how to have it all. I know, know how to have nothing. Then people will listen to you too if you start thinking like Paul. And it's, 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 it's really a wonderful passage. So I... Um, I cry too much. One last thing about uh, what worship does to us. Oh, oh, worship is always transforming. Going back to our story on the pole, anybody who looks uh, will live. The transforming part is living. <laughs> uh, when you feel like you're dying, start worshiping and see the risen Christ loving you, meeting your need, and you'll come alive. I, I'm just uh, amazed. Uh, in, in John chapter 4, Jesus meets this woman at the well, remember, and says, my father is looking for worshipers because true worshipers come alive.
come alive. And the glory of God, Bishop Irenaeus said in the second century, the glory of God is woman, fully alive. The glory of God is man, fully alive. Oh, that's such an important idea. Whoever looked at that serpent on the snake lived. When Paul and Silas started worshiping, not only did the place shake, or did did, did the people listen, but the foundations of the prison shook and the doors were all open. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there? Oh, worshiping makes a difference, not just uh, circumstantially, but in our own hearts. It's so transforming. This, this last November uh, uh, 16th, it was finally my turn. I became a member of the, the, the Crimson Zipper Club. You know, the Crimson Zipper Club where they just open you up and fix that old heart of yours. Great fun. You should try it sometime. <laughs> For a year, I had been afraid to, uh, to tell Carol anything about uh, the pain I, I, I was in. Every time you went uphill, uh, uh, you just, because uh, I knew she would do something terrible like call a doctor or something like that, which you don't want to do. But finally, it caught up. Let me let me just say that uh, um, uh, you know you pray, Lord, take this thing away. You could heal hard in a minute; won't even get tired. And you love me a lot, I'm sure. Uh, so, so 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 do it. The night after surgery, on that first walk, um, I started singing. I exalt thee, I exalt thee. And immediately, the Lord put in my, my head this thought that you thought the biggest thing you needed <laughs> was a little, a little heart relief. Uh, I just want you to know, uh, dear uh, son of mine, that I, I, what you needed was much more serious than that. <laughs> you, uh, you needed to believe that when you go through the fire, it will not harm you. I will be there. I will be there. Dick Sisson, you're never going to be afraid of physical pain again. You may not even be afraid of dying anymore. And uh, I found myself just so rejoicing in this. It's such an amazing thing, the focus that bringing God into your trouble can, can make, can do. Uh, my son Rick is a preacher in California, a good one, better than Nick. Uh, uh, and uh, he had a little girl we fell in love with right away, but uh, she had Downs. On the day of her birth, she was taken away in the Chicago hospital, didn't get out of there for a month. Then when she was a year old, she got leukemia. For four years, she had battled leukemia. Never able to walk, the cutest little thing you ever saw in your whole life. On her fifth birthday, uh, we had a party uh, for her, and they put uh, a tiara on on her head. And she was the princess. She was the most amazing girl. 
most amazing girl, a uh, month or two later, uh, she died in Rick's arms, and he just carried her all over the house and uh, rejoiced in a God who could change a whole family through this gift and uh, carried her and carried her and carried her. <laughs> Couldn't put her down. But at the funeral, Rick and Elizabeth said, we have to sing this song. And we sang that wonderful song, I see the Lord seated on the throne, exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple with glory till the whole world was filled with his glory. And suddenly a funeral became a celebration. That's what our God can do. Listen, you beat yourself up. You know, there's a statistic that says you have 500, no, no excuse me, 50,000 thoughts about yourself every day. 50,000 thoughts. You know what? How many of you think most of them are negative? 80% of our thoughts about ourselves are negative. Isn't that amazing? It's astounding. No wonder we need to say what David said. We need to say, Lord, I want to see your face, and I want to see your goodness, and I want to see your love. And so now there are a number of pastors who get together and say, every morning, may your first thought when you wake up not be the criticism that this guy shared with you yesterday, but your first thought, I'm loved by a wonderful God. I'm loved by a wonderful God. It'll change your day. As a matter of fact, don't even waste too much time saying, oh, I love God so much. It's much more important that you fill your thoughts with how he loves you. There was a woman, Julia of Norwich. I close with this. You've been waiting this for a long time. But I close with this. Julia of Norwich was born in 1342. She was one of those um, medieval mystics long before people could read. Uh, God used her to bless the, uh, the, 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 the people of England. She was in a, in a fatal disease, and the Lord healed her. But it was the love of Christ that was uh, the, the, the most important thing. By the way, this book, I Promised You a Crown by Julia Norwich, is so good. But she basically found herself uh, wrestling with the idea of the cross that she had to bear. And she began to think, it would be a good idea if I could just escape this cross. Lord, maybe I should die and go to heaven. I'd much rather be with you up there. And the Lord spoke to her heart and said basically this. I won't read this uh, paragraph to you. said, don't ever try to dismiss your cross, bear your cross, until the Lord feels like it's accomplished its purpose, whatever it is. But in the meantime, while you are bearing your cross, watch Jesus come into the temple of your heart and fill that space with his life. 
And so she ends that moment of meditation by saying, Jesus, be my heaven. Be my heaven. Bring heaven into my pain. Don't take me out of my pain. Don't take me out. You come. And, and, and of course, because she was a worshiper, she, she was able to do that. I want you to know there's nothing more important that you're doing than worshiping. It makes all the difference in the world. If you are truly worshiping, did you hear that? Did you hear that? If you are truly worshiping, it, it, it changes everything, everything, absolutely everything. You'll never be the same again because you, you'll be saying that Jesus makes all the difference in the world. No wonder the key verse in this book is really the benediction, the most famous benediction that you know that comes right out of the book of Numbers. How could this nugget get lost way back in that book? Now you know. But after the priests were assembled, they prayed over the people. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord, and, and be gracious, excuse me, and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you Hallelujah! That's what we ask of God. That's our God. What a wonderful Savior we have. How blessed you are. How blessed you are. Fail tests? You bet. But somehow the Lord always takes us back to the pole and says, look at me. I'll take you through. I'll take you through. Come on, let's stand up and Yes, Lord, we seek your face. Thank you. Thank you for this church. Thank you for this pastor. Thank you for the hope that you put in our hearts because of your goodness. We are people who look forward to the best part of our lives. Thank you. In Jesus' name.